Welcome to Hear Us Wisconsin, Youth Voices on Youth Justice. My name is Bria Brown, and I'll be guiding you through this episode. In this special series within a series, we are sharing the full uncut interviews from the professionals who were featured in this podcast. You heard snippets of their interviews throughout the whole series, and we're so excited to share the full interviews with you so that you can gain the insight and knowledge that they have to share. In this episode, you'll hear the full interview of Reagan Shapiro, WIDCF Youth Services Section Manager. So my name is Reagan Shapiro. I'm a Youth Justice Policy Coordinator with the Wisconsin Department of Children and Families. I've worked in that capacity for three and a half years and had 14 years of experience working in the juvenile justice system prior to that, initially as a prosecutor for the Dane County Department, um, Dane County District Attorney's Office. And then after that, I, I worked for two years at the um, Department of Corrections uh, in the Division of Juvenile Corrections, working as a policy analyst, uh, focusing on education for them. And why do you continue to do the work that you're doing? So I discovered my passion for working with young people when I shifted gears and, and was working in the adult prosecution system and then into juvenile. And the reason why was because it struck me <clears throat> that the common goal was, um, at least it was in, in where I was practicing, was to uh, work with young people to provide them with services and to try to um, help them get on the right track so that they wouldn't come back in the system. It was not punitive. It was mm -hmm. intended to be collaborative and that the social worker and the public defender and the prosecutor and the judge in large part all were, had the same goal of trying to you know, help this young person um, make their life better so that they wouldn't come back into the system as an adult. Great. Um, so we'll just, I'll just ask you some questions and then you can just go on about your okay. answers. So you've been working with the youth leadership teams across the state uh, in various capacities for the last few years. And so you have heard a lot of the stories from um, youth across the state. And can you talk a little bit about the interaction between um, the uh, child welfare system and the juvenile justice system? So interestingly, uh before the, the YLTs, the youth leadership teams, came into existence, and that happened in 2016, uh, we did have our youth advisory councils, and those were comprised of young people that had been in the foster care system and that had aged out of care, but we didn't have any sort of compa companion um, program for young people that had justice system involvement. And so we created the YLTs, we have four teams around the state, uh, and the, the work that they do was sort of threefold. One was that we would work with them to help them develop their leadership skills, um, to assist them with public speaking, and teach them how, in a safe way, they could share their story and their experience with system stakeholders. Uh, the second component of the teams is that they would provide us with feedback on our policy, and this is really a key component to the change that we wanted to make, was that any policy that we were considering, we were then sharing with them at the meetings and getting their feedback and asking them, you know, what do you think and, and what would you like to see change? And the third component um, has to do with is project-based, where they were sort of selecting uh, an area of focus or a project that they were going to work on 
for the duration of that year. So in the first year, they came up with their vision for the youth justice system, which is a pretty lengthy report where they talked about and weighed in on topics ranging from um, diversion to um, what do they think about out of the out-of-home care system, um, they, what do they think about the court system, and sort of how they would like to see the, um, the system progress and get better for young people. That was uh, the first year. And then the second year, they created a brochure or a pamphlet that was called uh, Advice for uh, System Youth Justice System Stakeholders. And that was where they directly talked about what they would like judges to know about them, what they would like social workers to know about them, and what they would like attorneys to know about them, that they're public defenders when, that are representing them. And then in, in this past year, um, we've had a number of youth interview. We're putting together a training video that will be mm-hmm. used internally for training um, what we call intake workers, and those would be social workers that have to perform the function of making the decision about whether or not to take a child into custody or a youth into custody. And so we're, we're creating this video where the youth are speaking directly and saying the substance is talking about what does it feel like to be removed from your home without a lot of warning, without having very many belongings with you, um, what is you know what is the experience in a detention center like so that we can help uh, new social workers with seeing the youth and hearing the youth perspective about that experience when they're making that decision, which is a critical decision about whether or not they should place that youth uh, or take custody of that youth and, and place them somewhere. And that placement could be a shelter, it could be a um, detention center, it could be in a relative home, but just sort of the removal process and what is that, you know, how's that experience, um, how's that felt by the young person. So that's the current project that we're in the process of wrapping up for the third year. Awesome. And what kind of advice did you hear um, from the youth uh, with respect to, um, so what were some of the common themes in terms of recommendations that the uh, youth were making for the judges, the intake workers, and the system stakeholders? So I think um, there were a couple themes. One would be um, that we are more than our mistakes. That, that a young person makes a mistake and that, but there is so much more to them than that and that they want their whole context of their life and what's happening and with their family and with their friends, that they want that to be a part of what the courts, whether that's the judge, whether that's their attorney, the social worker, they want to be seen as a whole person. Um, so that would be a, a one of their common themes. Um, a second one was that they wanted to be given an opportunity to share their story, to be asked what they wanted. So when we, it's interesting, and, and I know that when we initially were doing our vision for the youth justice system and talking about out-of-home care, there were some young people that said, being in foster care was the best thing that ever happened to me. And then there were some youth that said, I, I ran. I ran because it wasn't a good fit and I didn't like and nobody asked me what I wanted and nobody consulted with me or asked me. So I think the youth voice or asking them to help be the problem solvers in their own lives and, and help them, um, you know, with where they, where they may go, uh, they want to be a part of that process. They want to be asked. Um, 
and they also want to be asked why they did the things that they did. Um, and that sort of lends to the trauma lens, mm-hmm. asking um, often, you know, we know the kids aren't doing these committing offenses in a vacuum, that there is something that's underlying their behavior, and we need to get to the driver of what's causing that. And so they, they definitely identified that um, and said that they would like to be asked why, why they did what they did. Um, so to sort of expand on that, um, what do you think from your, ex- your long, you know, 20 plus years experience in the system can, uh, um, the system and the stakeholders do to prevent youth from going into the juvenile justice system? Many of these kids are coming, as we've heard in their stories from, um, uh, families that were under stress, families that were in crisis, um, not being in the the right place, and and um, you know not being supported in a variety of different ways. Some of them from the time you know before they were in middle school and they were in fifth grade, they're nine, they're ten years old. Um, what can the system and folks like yourself uh, do to prevent youth from you know continuing down the pipeline? So I think one thing that we're trying to, and this is a paradigm shift, is understanding that we can provide, by we, I mean human service agencies, the agencies that are typically providing services, that we can provide services to young people without formally bringing them through the door into the justice system, meaning we're not filing a formal petition. We are there, something happens, and we are able to give them referral, provide them, give them opportunities for services that are outside of the system. Um, I know we sometimes get pushed back with that and say, well, if we don't, if the court doesn't order it, they're not going to do it. And so there again is, you know, a paradigm shift of like, let's think about what is it that we're offering to them? Are we engaging in, engaging with that young person and or with their family to say, what's going to be helpful to you? You know, what, you know, what services do you need? Um, so, I think that's that's sort of is that's a, a shift that we're trying to help teach and see that particularly as we look at uh, using a new risk assessment that will I be help us be able to identify some of that driving behavior and just because we can identify that driving behavior that's causing um, the young person to uh, that caused you know the the criminal event that we can provide them with those services without bringing them through the formal system door. And I, and I think the research really demonstrates that um, once they come through that door, the likelihood that they will get pushed deeper into the system um, is, is that much more likely. Is that much more likely. It's, it's um, much greater that they'll, um, they could get caught up in you know, violating their court order or getting sanctioned. There just are a lot of um, trips you know, that they can or um, mistakes tiny mistakes things that they may get in trouble for that they wouldn't have necessarily had happen if they weren't under a court order interestingly when um, the community-based juvenile justice system transferred from the wisconsin department of corrections to the wisconsin department of children and families we were presented with and tasked with from the legislature to begin collecting data on the youth uh, that were coming into the system, which we previously had not been doing on a statewide level. Counties were obviously tracking youth on their own, but not on a statewide level. So beginning in July of 2018, 
um, we began collecting data on what we call intake and referrals. So those would be referrals coming in from law enforcement um, and then intakes to which cases go formal or not. And the initial reports that we were able to run on that data beginning in July um, indicated to us that upwards of 80% of the young people that were um, getting delinquency referrals had some prior contact with the CPS system. Um, and that was obviously, to some, maybe not surprising because we know that there are a lot of what we call duly involved youth. That's a common, um, yeah, I think a lot of people nationally are paying attention to um, the, the fact that we have crossover youth or, or duly involved youth that are in both systems. Uh, but what we, what we found is that the youth that, that we are serving in Wisconsin or that are making their way into the youth justice system, that 80% of them have a prior um, experience or contact with CPS. Um, can you talk uh, from your perspective on the um, role of um, trauma or adverse childhood experiences with respect to involvement in the juvenile justice system? As it relates to trauma, I think um, when we say when we hear from the young people that they say, ask me why, that to me is them saying, ask me or find out, maybe don't ask me, but through um, other channels, find out about my background and know, learn more about me. Um, and, and inherent in that is that they may have a history um, where they've experienced trauma um, in their upbringing whether that can be from very young, if they were removed from the home, um, where the, what they've experienced with friends, um, all the different era, you know types of trauma. So I think, um, I don't know if that answers your question. I, I, in terms of a perspective, I think um, we need to spend more time looking at that. And I think as a whole, DCF is um, the, the youth assessment and screening instrument that we are um, implementing statewide that uh, has two pieces to it. One, it does have the ACE score embedded within the assessment, so it is possible to derive um, an adverse childhood experience score using that risk assessment, risk and need assessment, and uh, it also um, it also measures a young person's strengths, which is something that we haven't really talked about yet, and that is that when you're talking about really good prevention we need to harness what is going well for that young person. So um, the fact that we would have a tool with it that would help identify and highlight the areas where things are going well for them, whether that's they're doing great in school, they're involved in some sort of extracurricular activity, their family is very supportive, whether that's in, you know, immediate or extended, um, we, need to we need to spend time um, enhancing and um, bolstering their natural strengths so that the, we do know, and the research does show, that um, strengths act, act as a buffer for future offending. So if we can highlight and, and increase their strengths, that is all the more likely that they will not find their way back into the system. I think, too, that you talked about, you know, the training video that folks are working on uh, or the youth are working on for the intake workers mm -hmm. um, is really important. Um, do you think there's a need in this state for, from your perspective, um, for a greater diversity of out-of-home care 
a new sort of recreation of different version of our group home system like in other words many of the youth were like oh I really liked it and then others were like I don't and then they um we heard stories of um uh there you know kids moving from one group home to the next to the next because of the need for capacity issues and no longer meeting the criteria so uh can you speak a little bit from your perspective about um what does that look like for the future? You know, like if, if a kid's moving from one to the other, or um, in one case, there was a youth who moved out of her foster home to make room for her siblings, which made her sort of a homeless teen that moved her into the group home again, right? So yeah. I don't know. What are some of the sort of long-term solutions in your mind? So out-of-home care is in my area of expertise, so it's very hard for me to um, to speak to that. I think from the perspective of the work that I do, I think that if we are targeting our services to the needs, and specifically we're talking about criminogenic needs, if we are targeting our services to the needs, so there's what we call service matching, meaning the service that is being delivered is matching to the need of the young person that's been identified. Um, jurisdictions that have a high success rate of service matching, their out-of-home placement uh, percentages and, and uh, you know their statistics are have dropped mm. significantly. So to me, that is. Um, if, if we can provide the right services in the community, that to me is the best option um, rather than having to pull or take a youth out of their home. And I think that um, that's the direction a lot of jurisdictions are going and we're hoping to move in that direction or we're taking active steps to move in that direction in Wisconsin, which is to um, be much more targeted in our service delivery and providing um, technical assistance and capacity building opportunities to the individual counties so that they can um, review what services they have available and then start looking at where they may have service gaps um, as they begin using this assessment tool and they can start saying we need more um, cognitive behavioral therapy programming that deals with you know this particular topic um, and so that we can help them with that. What do you think, based on reflection of your own professional experience, can prosecutors do uh, better to um, uh, sort of hear and meet the needs of these youth, even in their role as prosecutors? I, I think uh, there is a term that is used um, in the Reforming Juvenile Justice, the National Research Co Research Council um, publication that came out in 2015, 14, recently, um, for the last five years. So talking about procedural justice, and that is the concept that if a young person is coming into the justice system, do they is their experience one where they feel that they have been treated fairly? Do they feel like they have been heard? And do they feel like the end result is something that they uh, understand and can go along with? Um, 
What we know, young people are the first ones to say, I did something wrong, and they, they, they admit to what they did. It's our response, right, as a system of how do we um, respond to that. And procedural justice um, tells us that if a youth feels that, they're, that they've been heard and that, they're, um, that the outcome is fair and that their experience has been fair and equitable, that um, they are more likely to go along with the services down the road and that their outlook towards the system as a whole, whether that's their, their view towards law enforcement or the courts into adulthood is much more positive if they feel that they um, had a positive experience um, as a young person. So um, that, would be my, that would be my roundabout advice is to make sure that you're doing your part to ensure that youth feels that they've been um, treated fairly, that they've been heard, uh, in the system. And obviously, yes, as a prosecutor, your job is to represent the state. Um, but I, I don't think those are um, in conflict with each other. I don't think those are mutually exclusive. I think you can you can um, have a young person go through the system and have that and, and walk away feeling that they were treated with respect and treated fairly um, when they come out the other side. And not only that, but acknowledging, and this goes, and this the other piece of this too, which is right, that we learn so much about um, rewards and incentives. And that is to say that we say to that young person, again, you are more than this mistake. I have confidence in you. I know that you can go on and do great things, that, that it's a learning experience. And that's the other piece of procedural justice, right, is that it's not like everybody's sort of like ganging up on this youth. It's that it is, it is a restorative approach, right? The whole, the whole approach, uh, approach being like, let us give you an opportunity to right the wrong. Let us give you an opportunity to um, show the community that you are a valued member instead of it, you know, pushing you out and, and, and making you... Um, an exile, essentially, that we're bringing you into the circle, into the fold, and showing you the way, and helping show you the right way in a way that is caring, um, and uh, yeah, caring. Thank you for listening to Hear Us. If you would like additional information and resources, please visit our website, racetoequity.net. We want to extend a special thank you to the youth who bravely shared their experiences with us. We also want to thank the professionals who shared their insights with us. Thank you to Ward FM in Madison, Wisconsin, and the Underground Collective in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for recording space and expertise. And finally, thank you, Erica Nelson, for forging this project. This podcast was made possible by the Annie E. Casey Foundation, B. Brown Productions, and the Kids Forward Race to Equity team. Editing and narration was done by Bria Brown of B. Brown Productions, narration by Alexa Turner, and the cover art by Walker TKL. Please subscribe to Hear Us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much.